Good afternoon, Lafayette. Welcome to the Joe Cunningham Show. Great to be with y'all today here on News Talk 96.5 KPL. All right, so let's uh, let's get with uh, the important news of the moment. Uh, traffic is probably still backed up around Lafayette High on Congress, and that stems from a situation earlier today. So this being a news talk station, let's talk about the news of the day. Uh, the biggest story in town right now, the threat at Lafayette High. So here's what happened. Lafayette High went into lockdown earlier today. School officials and law enforcement were investigating a threat made online. Uh, we here at Town Square had received uh, a, a screenshot of the threatening tweet that was sent out. I went myself and verified that, that Twitter account and that tweet exists. The tweet said, I'm tired of Lafayette High School. I'm here to retaliate. Named people, a teacher, and family members. This person was threatening to to harm. That got the school shut down. The school went into lockdown. Uh, LPSS sent out a message saying that Lafayette High is currently on lockdown status while law enforcement investigates a potential threat on campus. Now, that was at the beginning of the day. Here's where we are now. Law enforcement, uh, law enforcement appears to have somebody in custody. Somebody was walked out of the school in handcuffs, according to reports. Uh, LPSS announced that Lafayette was moving to a shelter-in-place status, and students were dismissed under the following protocol. Students who ride a bus will be sent home on their assigned bus. Students who walk home from school must be picked up in the car rider line. Student drivers will dismiss as normal. Students will not be allowed to check out. All after-school activities are canceled. So that's where we are with Lafayette High. Uh, Dismissal process still probably taking place. Let's see, this update was sent uh, just after 2 o'clock, so that dismissal could still be ongoing right now. But uh, please be careful, just in general, with after-school traffic going on, but particularly around Lafayette High. This is just another one of those shameful situations, though. And again, as I've, I've, as I've said before, as we've talked about before, there's just a, a terrible crisis going on, not just in our schools, but around the country. I mean, we, we've got the crime statistics that we can look at. We can see crimes are still going up. The big news stories that we see day in and day out. But we're seeing this. We're seeing this in our schools in particular. We're seeing more and more threats, more and more lockdowns, more and more insinuations of violence. And there's got to be something that we can do. I mean, short of, you know, banning kids from social media, which is never going to happen. There's got to be something that can be done. Part of it is, yes, part of it is parental, con, uh, you know, parental involvement at home. I can tell you that personally. The kids that you never see going to a parent-teacher conference or anything like that, showing up for disciplinary hearings, uh, meetings with principals, things like that. Those The parents that don't show up are the ones whose kids are getting in the most trouble. The, the kids whose parents are involved typically are not the kids who are doing these sorts of things. But there are some other societal concerns out there. Social media is a very toxic place for kids. And once again, really have to look into being involved with what our kids are looking at on social media. 
I'll be the first to tell you, my oldest, a 10-year-old, has a tablet. We closely monitor what she can access on that tablet and what and have been very clear that she's not getting access to these other social media sites, some of these games she wants to play that other kids in her age group are playing because we don't want her exposed to any of the stuff that goes on online. I mean, consider the, the rise in violent threats, uh, the rise in uh, gender dysphoria among teens, that they then will, at several times, go back and, and recant or kind of switch on and off as they feel. Look at the degradation culturally of societal norms that we see particularly among our kids. It's an absolutely tragic situation, and it's something that we as a society have to do more to focus on. So once again, Lafayette High probably should be clearing up here soon as far as traffic goes, getting kids off campus. But this is, it's been a major, it's been an all-day thing. This started earlier today, and we've been receiving updates. And again, you can find uh, you can find the original story and all the updates at kpel965.com. Okay, let's go ahead and take a little bit of an early break, get into the show as I was intending to get to here on the Joe Cunningham Show. Uh, your calls, 232-1542, your messages on the uh, KPEL app when we get back here on News Talk 96.5 KPEL. Welcome back to the Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 96.5 KPEL 232-1542. If you want to join in, be part of the conversation. All right, let's get to the other news of the day. Again, to find the latest updates on the situation at Lafayette High, go to kpl965.com. We've got that story up near the top of the page for you to see. All right. So last week I mentioned that the GOP had taken the lead in the generic congressional ballot, which is a pretty good sign for the GOP uh, considering that this time of year, you still have Democrats typically favored uh, by a few points in the polls. If the Republicans are taking the lead right now, especially in the generic congressional ballot, that's not a good thing, especially because part of this lead extension comes from the Monmouth poll, which came out today. New poll from Monmouth, which was uh, 750 or so registered voters. Now registered voter polling tends to lean more Democratic than red. Uh, I'm sorry. Yeah. Registered voter polling tends to lead more Democratic than likely voter polling. Monmouth typically leans more toward the Democrats than some other polling firms do. And in August, the Monmouth poll had Democrats up plus seven. So this is a pretty big shift over the last month and a half or so. Here's the thing with the generic congressional ballot right now, right now the Republicans are ahead 46.1% to 45.1% in the polling average. And you can see this on my newsletter, joecunninghamshow.substack.com. Uh, you can go there, you can see today's show notes, and you can see the, I, I got the chart from Real Clear Politics posted there. The, the generic congressional ballot is not a sure thing as far as, yes, the Republicans are definitely going to win both the House and the Senate. Again, pretty sure they're going to win the House. Fairly confident they're going to win the House. But it all comes down to the Senate. 
Here's the thing that you need to pay attention to, though. In the most recent iterations of the generic congressional ballot, the Democrats have plateaued. They are stuck just over, just around the 44 to 45% line. They've been there for a while. And now the Republicans are surging past that, which means the Democrats have probably hit their ceiling. That 45.1% is roughly where the Democrats are going to remain. The question is the independent voters, the voters that are not, you know, particularly siding with one group or another, those that can swing. The Democrats aren't picking those independent voters up. The Democrats are, however, losing quite a bit in minority vote. You have Al Sharpton, who's going out today or, or yesterday, saying that Democrats aren't connecting with black voters. It's a pretty bad sign when Al Sharpton, of all people, is telling you that. There's a piece I'm going to read a little bit from later that says, look, Hispanic voters are trending to the right. And Democrats are not winning them back. Right now, the Republican Party has the chance, not by playing identity politics like the Democrats do, but by actually talking about the key issues here. The Democrats are going for broke. There's a police, I'm sorry, a piece at Politico. Excuse me. There's a piece at Politico. Headline, Democrats stake their House majority on abortion. From rural Wisconsin Trump country to California's heavily Catholic Central Valley, there's almost no place where Democrats think an abortion rights-focused message won't play. And they are betting their House majority on it. Democratic candidates, their party's campaign arm, and allied super PACs have spent nearly $18 million to air more than 100 abortion-centered broadcast TV ads in some four dozen battleground seats as of the end of September. This is according to a political analysis of data from Ad Impact, a media tracking firm. That sum is already three times more than what Democrats spent on abortion ads during the entire 2018 general election. That election, which was centered around the fact that Brett Kavanaugh got, uh, he, his nomination went through the Senate, he got put on the Supreme Court, and all the Democrats were shouting, oh no, it's the end of abortion, Republicans are going to take abortion away from us, and then it happened. And now Democrats are spending even more because it happened. Now, the problem for Democrats, you have this piece from Patrick Ruffini at The Spectator. Ruffini is a polling analyst. He runs a polling firm. They look at a lot of polling data. He writes a spectacular piece at The Spectator, but I want to focus on just a, a few paragraphs. Assuming I can get the link to work. Okay. So here's what Ruffini says. Most explanations for the shift in the Hispanic vote have overemphasized tactical factors or issues specific to the 2020 election, like the specter of socialism or the issue of defunding the police. If socialism had been a decisive concern, the rightward shift would have been stronger in heavily Cuban and Venezuelan South Florida than it was in the Rio Grande Valley, where the population is Mexican or native to the region. But the shift was just as clear along the Rio Grande. Both precinct and polling data from 2020 reveal a deeper realignment in most immigrant-heavy neighborhoods. Ideology seems to have played a role among non-white voting, non voting blocs. 
there is a significant mismatch between voter ideology and candidate choice. Conservative non-whites tend to support Democratic candidates far more than conservative whites. That mismatch shrank in 2020 as conservative non-whites in every racial group swung toward Trump by a net margin of at least 25 points. There's every reason to expect the ideological polarization will continue. And Rafini goes into tremendous detail here about just how big this could be for the Republicans. Looking at his column, part of the problem here isn't that Hispanic voters are looking to vote away socialism. It isn't about their hatred of the people that skip the line so much as it is these, these Hispanic immigrants, Hispanic American immigrants, they're American. They're patriotic. The demographic is family-oriented and deeply religious. Nativist elements have occasionally questioned their loyalty to the United States, but they have joined the military at rates matching the population as a whole. Opinion surveys, according to Ruffini, reveal them to be deeply patriotic with above-average levels of support for the police and the military. Their traditional values stand in contrast to those of the nation's educated elite who shift to the left has alienated them from the old-school working-class Democratic Party. For Democrats, this is a problem. Hispanics in America do not identify themselves as Hispanic or Latino or as members of a specific nationality. They identify as Americans. Ruffini says polling his firm helped conduct among Texas Hispanics for Texas Latino conservatives found them predominantly identifying as American with nearly twice as many responses as the second most popular answer, Texan. Hispanic or Latino ran a distant third. The Democrats have long played the, the, the identity issue. And now there's one more bit that I want you to understand here. Why is the vote breaking away from Democrats? It looked so positive there for a while. What happened? It's not just a demographic shift. It's not just these other things. Over the summer, the Dobbs ruling, dropping gas prices, legislative success that helped Biden win back Democrats who disapproved of him. His approval numbers have come back up. Typically, Democratic vote share converges on low job approval, but Biden's job approval was so low that there was no way voting was going to go any lower. But now they've come back. But they have hit their ceiling. We're now at the second phase of this cycle. Undecideds are now breaking to the Republicans because that group now consists of genuine swing voters, including Hispanic voters who now look to be more of a swing block than a dedicated Democratic block. And those swing voters overwhelmingly still disapprove of Biden. Will that last for the entire rest of the month and into early November? I think so. Can't guarantee it, but I think so. And that's why that red wave, I think, is still there. All right, let's take a break. When we come back, 
did you hear about the movie Bros? I want to talk about that because the an actor, producer is out there making some claims. We got to talk about that when we come back here on the Joe Cunningham Show. News Talk 96.5 KPL. Welcome back to the Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 96.5 KPL. Hey, before we get to the next topic, just uh, somebody sent this to me. Uh, new Gallup poll. Now, Gallup, this isn't like it's it's Rasmus. It's, this isn't like it's Trafalgar or anything that might lean center right. This is Gallup, which is notoriously very pro-democratic in its polling. In August, they ran in their poll, they asked, do you identify as a Democrat, Republican, or Independent? In August, Democrats, 48%, Republicans, 39%, pure Independents, 13%. In September, Republicans, 48%, Democrats, 44%, Independents, 12%. That's a very, very big swing. That's a nine-point swing in the Republicans' favor and a four-point drop for Democrats. If Gallup is showing that, that's another red flag. Be careful. If you're a Democrat and you're maintaining optimism, good on you. But be careful about getting your hopes up too high because the data is not looking good in your favor. Now, again, polling's been strange the last several cycles. It could be strange in the other direction this time. People could be overcorrecting. I don't think they are. All right, let's move to a non-political but still cultural and slightly political issue. Let's talk about the movie Bros. Have you heard of it? I... Had, I, I had not heard of this movie at all. Had no idea what the movie was until one of our listeners, John, actually sent me a message on Facebook asking if I'd heard anything. I hadn't. I had not heard anything about the movie. Had not seen a trailer. Had not seen any promotional material for it, which is weird because apparently Universal spent 40 to $50 million promoting this movie. It's an LGBT romantic comedy. It's opening week. It, it cost $22 million to make. Cost $22 million to make. They spent $40 to $50, uh, $40 to $50 million promoting it. And it earned $4.8 million in ticket sales over the weekend. That is an incredible flop. It came in number four in the box office. The number one movie was Smile, a horror movie that came out. Looks like a pretty interesting and fairly new style of horror. Very innovative in terms of the horror genre. But the that movie did well. Romantic comedies have struggled in the box office over recent years. Uh, one film consultant who spoke to the New York Times noted that romantic comedies of all kinds have struggled at the box office. The genre now lives mostly on streaming services. Studios have released 40 different romantic comedies in theaters over the last decade, four per year, compared to 212 during the 15 years prior to that, 14 per year. The romantic comedy genre is just not what people are interested in anymore. People clearly more interested in the horror movie. Again, I kind of want to see Smile. Now, I, when I watched the trailer for Bros, and you know what it was? It was, I mean, it, a funny joke, 
but it looked like kind of a stereotypical romantic comedy. I mean, Judd Apatow is the is the director here, so it's going to have some pretty solid comedy. But it's mostly the same romantic comedy tropes, just instead of a man and woman, it's uh, it's two guys. That's it. There, there's nothing that there's nothing really that that compels you to come in except that it's two gay guys who are the romantic comedy partners in this. But if you don't go see it, you're apparently a homophobic weirdo because you're not supporting an LGBT major uh, studio release. What Universal did apparently was focus on YouTube ads. I did not hear anybody talking about seeing a trailer on TV. I didn't see it. I watched Hulu Live. I never saw a trailer for it. Never saw it on any of the social networks, any of the algorithms that would track me. And, and I, I would pay attention to cultural stuff, so I should have seen something about it somewhere. But I haven't. And I don't know anybody who did. So if you're going by an entirely internet-based, algorithm-based ad campaign... What, what a lot of people don't understand is that these algorithms track in a very detailed way who is seeing what, what ads you're getting. So if you don't pay attention to LGBT in media, if that's not something you focus on, which is a large part of America, you're not going to see any ad about it if your entire ad campaign is online. They also got... Uh, Mariah Carey, several other uh, celebrities to talk about it on social media and elsewhere, but people aren't getting their movie recommendations from social media. It's just very, it's very weird to automatically jump to the whole homophobe thing as the complaint for why your movie didn't do too well, when it's obvious that people really don't care about romantic comedies. And I don't think they have for a while. All right, 232-1542, if you want to jump in, be part of any of the conversations we've had today, let's go to the phones. We've got Larry on the line. Hi, Larry. How are you? Hey, I'm fine. Thanks for taking my call. No you were uh, talking about the uh, different parties, uh, people that are registered in, in the different parties. Yeah. And for, for quite a long time, I've been trying to figure out, uh, I myself am independent. Mm-hmm. Independent, moderate-leaning conservative. Yeah. And uh, I'm trying to get an idea of what, and I think it's a large percentage. Mm-hmm. I think it, it probably is uh, competing with the other two parties. Yeah. And I, I have a feeling a lot of Democrats are going as, into independence. So is there a firm number somewhere? I haven't seen on a- the number of independents percentage-wise. I haven't seen any firm numbers. Now, the numbers I gave a little while ago are just how people are identifying themselves. Right. So, um, so, and that's, and, and this, this poll is kind of weird because if you're independent but lean a certain way, you got counted with that party. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. When, when I mentioned the independence in that one, it says pure independence, people who could go either way who don't have a particular lean. In August, it was 13%. Mm-hmm. In September, it was 12%. But mm-hmm. keep in okay. mind, that let's see in August 48%, 39%, 30%. So that's 12, 20. Okay, so that's a hundred percent there. Um, but you're looking at a massive swing, and it can't just be 
people switching from one part to the other. It looks like the independent, the, I think the independent number is probably somewhere in the 15 to 18% range, just based on a lot of the polling I've seen. If so the, do you, do you, go on, go on. Do you think that, re, do you think that represents the national percentage of, of uh, people who are registered uh, independent? I think it's close. Oh, really? I would have thought it's more like 30%. Or something higher. I think, but anyhow, well, what what you typically have is most people who are really into voting, they are typically they they typically register with the party. I mean, so in Louisiana, we we don't have closed primaries. We just have the kind of the jungle primary system. You can be registered as whatever you want, go vote for whoever you want. There are a lot of people who are conservative, but it just like you know, a generation or so ago. There were people who just registered as Democrats because that's what you did when you registered to vote in Louisiana. But they still vote largely Republican. Right. You have well, in, in my case. Go ahead. No, go on, go on. In your case? Yeah, yeah. Well, in my particular case, I mean, when I came, it's kind of funny in a way when I think about it, but uh, when I came back from Vietnam, I just didn't support either party. Yeah. This was over 50 years ago. Yeah. So I went to independent, you know, I didn't. And people said, what? What do you mean independent? And I, and I was formerly a Democrat, you know, blue dog Democrat. Yeah. So just just so. Yeah. All right. So, still curious. All right. Larry, thank you for the call. What I'm going to do, I'm going to try to find a more firm number for you. I'm going to make a note of that. Try to find that number for you. But I got to take a break. Larry, thank you for the call. 232-1542. Anybody else wants to call in or send a message through the uh, KPL app chat. We're going to go ahead and take this break and we'll be back for a few more minutes here on the Joe Cunningham Show News Talk. 96.5 KPL. Well, we've had our first 2023 announcement. It's not for governor, not an official one, but we do have an announcement for next year. Hi, this is Joe Cunningham here at the Joe Cunningham Show, News Talk 96.5 KPL. And John Stefanski of Crowley has announced that he is running for attorney general. Now, we had suspected this, we knew this was coming. I think there are probably some more legislator announcements coming out about statewide races. Uh, but most of them are waiting until after the midterms, at least, and probably after the first of the year. Uh, Billy Nungesser had said that he is announcing, or Billy Nungesser announced that he will be announcing in the new year. So that's where we are on that. Stefanski will likely take on Liz Merle, who is the top deputy for uh, for Jeff Landry. Jeff Landry, of course will not be running against either of them. He is going to be running for governor. We we saw the pictures of the Team Landry for governor, uh, those shirts at the, the Big Gator hunt. So th- here's where we stand right now. Again, we expect the big three to run for governor. Jeff Landry, John Schroeder, Billy Nungesser. We have two pretty assured, can't, well, one who is assured, and that's John Stefanski, and pretty sure Liz Merle running for attorney general. Two top spots here in the state. We'd heard rumors that Clay Sheck Snyder had wanted to run for lieutenant governor. Take the, uh, you know, take over for Billy Nungesser when he runs for governor. It's a very, very interesting uh, chessboard that's being set up here. In Louisiana politics, we have an opportunity to get more actual conservatives elected. I mean, if, you know, Stefanski, you've heard Moon talk about Stefanski. I'm not going to go too far into it, but conservative parts of the state can do better than Stefanski. 
Let's be honest. Conservative parts of the state can do better than what we've currently got in the legislature. We've got some good ones. But we can do better. But now we have the opportunity. Liz Merle is not a bad candidate, not a bad choice for attorney general, can continue the same work that Jeff Landry was doing. Jeff Landry would be a solid conservative choice for governor. Um, yeah, I would, I would even, you know, I would be okay with John Schroeder as governor. Let's be honest. Billy Hungesser, I think is another, uh, Darden type. Basically. I think he's more of the moderate guy who wants to run just to, just to have the shot. And if somebody offers him a position, he'll take it. You know, that's, you know, less than ideal. Uh, but then again, by the same token, Nungesser runs, Landry wins, Nungesser's out of a job. We don't actually have to deal with him for a while. Uh, Nungesser's been great for lieutenant governor. Let's not, you know, don't get me wrong here. Nungesser's been great for lieutenant governor. But that's about it. He has not done anything that really shows us he's ready for the governorship. Jeff Landry has gone out and fought battles that the constituents of Louisiana want fought. Now, how that turn into gubernatorial policy, we will see. But at least he's had an opportunity to go out and show that he will fight for those conservative ideas. But for the other races, very interesting. What are we going to do legislatively? We've got a lot of people who are termed out, a lot of people who are seeking higher office. People who are going to be, you know, there's going to be seats that open up. How do we handle those seats? It's going to be the same thing that we need here at the local level for uh, races like school board, mayor, council. We've got, what, uh, three mayor's races up this year. We'll have more up next year. We've got parish council and parish mayor, those seats up next year. You know, there's a lot of drama surrounding the parish stuff. So you want to keep your eye on that, want to see if some good candidates will come up there. I actually feel bad because the parish council and mayor races will overshadow a very necessary school board cycle where we can see some really good changes in the local school board if we get the right people approved. Uh, the, the direction that our school board is going is great. At the state level, the direction the education system is going under Cade Brumley is great. I like what he's doing. We just need to make sure that we are properly supporting that. And I'm not sure that Republicans still have their eyes on the right prize. They're still not looking at the right candidates. And that's what we need to try to fix. We need to try to fix the candidates that we're putting forward. We need better options. We really need to do a better job of recruiting candidates. That's where we as a state are lacking. We have great, great opportunities. We don't have the right people going out and seeking those opportunities. And it sucks. It is what it is. We will try to do better. All right. That's it for me today. You guys have been fantastic as always. Offsides is next. Be sure to tune in for that. In the meantime, I'll talk to you guys in 23 hours. You can follow me on Twitter at Joe P. Cunningham, Facebook.com slash Joe Cunningham Show. Sign up for the daily show notes and emails at joecunninghamshow.substack.com. I'll talk to you guys again real soon here on News Talk 96.5 KPL.